Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. I'm your host, Katie Helper, as you probably know, if you're listening to the Katie Helper Show. You can hear the Katie Helper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI. That's WBAI.org, 99.5 FM. You can also find us on SoundCloud and on iTunes, where you can rate and review us, and we certainly hope you do. Rate and review us on iTunes. It's very easy, and it helps a lot. It helps us spread the word about the show that other people can hear about it. We're really excited to bring you this episode, which comes from a live taping that we did at the Brooklyn Commons. The theme of the show was sexual harassment and comedy. What's the deal? And our guests were comedians Judah Friedlander and Kath Barbadaro, as well as writer Alex Press. Judah Friedlander is a comedian and actor known for his roles on the TV show 30 Rock and in the film American Splendor. His comedy special, America is the Greatest Country in the United States, is available on Netflix. Kath Barbadaro is a comedian, writer, and podcaster. She's appeared on Comedy Central's Roast Battle and was a correspondent on the CW's ATX Uncensored-ish. She co-hosts the podcast What a Time to Be Alive and Lie, Cheat, and Steal and has been a contributor to the Washington Post, where she actually wrote an article about Louis C.K. Alex Press is an assistant editor at Jacobin Magazine and a political organizer. Her writing has appeared in The Nation, Vox, Jacobin, and In These Times. She's a member of the News Guild of New York, and she also has written a bunch about sexual harassment. The way the live taping worked was that we had stand-up comedy from Kath Barbadaro and Judah Friedlander, followed by a discussion about sexual harassment. On this episode, we bring you that discussion. Now, in order to hear the stand-up from Kath Barbadaro, as well as some comedic stylings and riffings from me and co-host Gabe Pacheco, you can become Patreon members. And to do that, you just go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Treat yourself. Give yourself a late... Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa present, the gift of extra content from the Katie Halper Show. It's a great way to start off 2018. You will get extra bonus content, including extended interviews, extra interviews. Please like our Facebook page. It's just the Katie Halper Show on Facebook. Also, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Katie Halps, just letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. And Gabe Pacheco's handle is just Gabe underscore Pacheco. And use the hashtag Katie Help Show. That's hashtag K. T-H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for coming. Um, yeah. We weren't going if, if to... You, if you come in right now, for instance, please move to the left, which should feel politically comfortable anyway. Um, and because we're also socialists, we believe in sharing the space and not punishing anyone. So when people come in late, while well, we don't want to, uh, we there, don't want to reward lateness, but yeah, but you know, uh, we want to make room for everyone. Yeah. So there's so. some spaces back there, and we feel like if we do this, that maybe peace in the Middle East isn't so far off after all. I have hope. Yeah. A I bo- do. A boy can dream. Yes. Uh, um, so I'm Katie Halper, and this is Gabe Pacheco. Hi. And, and uh, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and write a little review if it's positive. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud. And we really appreciate everyone coming out in support of sexual harassment. Um, yeah. We got yeah. some fans of it. We got some people that are not fans. Yeah. We're going to hear both sides. We're going have to de- have a debate. <laughs> We're going to have a debate. Um, and we also want to thank all the people out there in Hollywood, in the comedy world, and basically in every industry for helping us make this show so relevant um, and meaningful. Yeah. yeah. You guys have all been swinging for the fences, and we're yeah. <laughs> you know, we were grasping at straws yeah. to figure out what to talk about. Yeah. Thank we only you had for... Roman Polanski and Bill Cosby, and that, those are old school. So we wanted yeah. some. Yeah. We didn't want to dust off those chestnuts. Yeah. Exactly. So, so to speak. Um, so just a little uh, heads up about what we're doing today. We're going to have some uh, stand-up comedy from two great performers. Uh, so great. We're going to tell you about them tonight very yes. shortly. But let's just say Kath Barbadaro and Judah Freelander. Yeah. And then, then we're going to have like a discussion about uh, sexual harassment and comedy, a mini discussion. Then we're going to bring up our other special guest, Alex Press, mm. journalist. And... Uh, we're going to open up the discussion to be more about sexual harassment in general and what we can do to combat it and how it affects people who aren't rich and famous, because it That's does, right. actually. Yeah. True story. Um, the 99%. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 
So we're going to bring up uh, Judah Friedlander and Kath Barbadaro, and then we will bring up Alex Press. So. So I'm going to walk over here now. Thanks, Scott. Oh, is this thing, is this thing on? Yeah. Uh, is Judah coming? Okay, he's coming back. World champ. He'll be here. Yeah. Yay. Yes. No, it's okay. <laughs> you got a bagel. Um, so uh, we, I wanted to know if uh, you guys had any stories that you could share. Maybe you can't because they're inappropriate, or maybe you can't because you want to keep having careers. But about <laughs> sexual harassment and comedy, whether you were a harasser, harassee, a witness, an ally. Yeah. Uh, cool. I do, believe it or not, a uh, lady comedian. Shocker. Um, I do. I was debating about whether to use uh, names and because this is recorded and it involves other people and a place of business, I will not. But if you're interested, just come up to me after the show. I will tell you immediately. <laughs> um, so that, this is like the big one that comes to mind. There's a lot of sort of weird, vague situations you get into in comedy that we'll talk about. But this is like the biggest one that I can think of. I like this. When I was first starting out, I was like a year into comedy. I got it was my second. Uh, MC week ever. Ooh, that was a dramatic story. Um, I think the comedian just paid for that. To, to make you not tell the story. So it was my second MC week ever, and the way comedy works, you, you start at the MC level in most places, which means you're opening the show, and then uh, if you're good, you sort of get bumped up the, up the ranks until you're headlining. So this was like a very big deal for me, and I was working with a comedian who I loved and respected, and I was like hugely honored to be asked to work with him. Uh, and then he was just indiscriminately inappropriate with everyone. It was like a wide range of just any ass that was in his field of vision he grabbed. And uh, it was a real bummer because it was someone who I really, really respected. And he was inappropriate with me, not like in a, uh, I wasn't like f feeling threatened, but like, here's a good example. Uh, when you get off stage as a comedian, um, you're supposed to shake the hand of the person who introduced you. When you get on stage, get off stage, you shake hands. And every single show, I went for a handshake, and he went for a kiss. And that happened for six nights in a row. Didn't get the message, handshake, man. So uh, this wasn't like a European thing, though. It wasn't <laughs> like... Did he kiss your hand? Like no, 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 no. Cinderella? Face, full face kiss. Face mm. kiss. Uh, and luckily, after that, it was a club run by women, and he was banned from the club. So he has not been back to that club after that. Uh, yeah, so that's like the biggest one I can think of. The question again was being sexually harassed or assaulted in the comedy business. Yeah, doing it, being it, or witnessing it. Not in the um, comedy business, but in the acting business, I've had guys uh, do things to me uh, where they've just like, one time a guy, I won't say his name, but I mean, maybe one day I'll say it, but right now I won't. Like, I'm at the craft service, which is the snack table. This is when I was on 30 Rock. When this person wasn't a regular on 30 Rock, they were a guest star. And I'm just eating, looking at food, and all of a sudden, someone grabs my ass and just doesn't just grab it, slowly just keeps squeezing it <laughs> for a good five to 10 seconds. And I just freeze, and I'm like, thinking in my head, I'm like, who the fuck is doing this shit? <laughs> and I'm going through my head, all right, who won the cast? Who won the crew? And I turn around, and it's this guy, and I'm like, don't ever fucking do that shit again. And then he just laughs it off like, what a prank he was doing. But obviously, you know, he's a closeted gay guy who's a molester or whatever you want to call him. So, yeah, there was that. And there were some other ones. And then when I was a kid, there was some shit. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, but not in, in the comedy business. I haven't, I've seen it, I've seen uh, comics where, like, a few times... I've brought a, a woman I was dating to a show. And often there's like a restaurant upstairs like from the comedy club. I leave her alone for two minutes. Like I might go to the bathroom and I come back and there's five comics just surrounding her, just all over. It's just like, I'm like, Jesus. And they, they saw me with her too. It's like, they don't give a shit, you know? So, mm -hmm. and not everyone's like that, but there's a lot that are. And uh, one time, uh, and just like even when I was making my uh, stand-up special, um, 
sometimes my, my stand-up special was done in a very low-budget style way, and I actually did some of the camera work myself, where I would just prop it up in a little place, and sometimes I would use that footage, and sometimes I would hire people to film me. Most of the people I hired were women, and, uh, and sometimes they would get harassed. You know, they're walking in, and immediately guys just start, some of them were staff, some of them were comics, just flirting with them. I'm like, guys, she's fucking working. Stop it. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable, you know, and then... Uh, yeah, and I, I had a friend who's a woman, not anyone I'm dating, a, a friend, and she came to just visit and watch a, a, a couple sets I was doing. And this one comic comes in, says hi. Within, within I don't know, two seconds, he's already grabbed her hand, like yanked it, given her a hug and a kiss on the cheek, and the girl's just laughing. And she, I know she doesn't want this, but it's like it happens like that, just so fast, you know? And I said, dude, just stop, you're, you're grabbing her arm. And he still didn't do it. And then I said, this was just a few weeks ago. And I said, I go, dude, Harvey Weinstein it down a little bit. And he just froze. <laughs> he completely fucking froze. And then, uh, so yeah, so it's, you know. Good I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Good, just yeah. good for Harvey Weinstein for now giving us a shorthand we can yeah, use. Seriously. To yeah, seriously. Immediately get the point across of what a fucking creep you're being. He's an ally. <laughs> well, there's 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 so many others uh, mm. we can right. use now. Right. But it's, um, so I don't know. I, I think in the world period, it's, it's rampant. I remember when the Harvey Weinstein story first broke, uh, I'm talking to my mom about it. She didn't even want to hear it. She's, she's like, why the fuck is the news talking about this shit all the time? Who cares? Who gives a fuck about Harvey Weinstein? And I was like, why did you have this attitude? And it was because she didn't believe anything would stick. Because her whole life, you know, my mom's in her 70s. Her whole life, she's dealt with and grew up in a world where men are king, women are shit, and period. I mean, period. You know, and nothing, you can complain, you can do whatever you want, nothing ever happens. You know, I mean, the same thing for, you know, if... If, you know, in the pecking order of the country or the world, if the white male is the top, the less you are that, the less power you have, the less people believe you about anything. It's, it's fucking horrendous, you know? So she didn't think anything was gonna happen about it. And then I said, you know, I think this is a little different this time. I think this is bigger than him. I think this is a moment, a movement possibly, hopefully it is. And, you know, a couple days later, she still don't believe it. And then, you know, a month or so later, she's, you know, she's blown away by it. And she's loving it. When Matt Lauer got fired, she was so fucking happy. <laughs> she doesn't, she doesn't even watch that show. My mom doesn't even watch that show. But she's someone who's like, she just sees him and she knows. She's like, I'm like, because I see him, I'm like, I don't fucking, he, you know, I don't watch that show. He doesn't fucking do anything where he just looks like a fucking, yeah, right. you know, Your mom has horrendous her. journalist, you know. But, uh. Um, so, so my mom was like, she called me up like the day it happened because she just, she never watches that show. She just happened to turn it on that day and she turns it on and, uh, Samantha Guthrie's like practically crying and my mom thought somebody died or something and it was, and it was, they were talking about Matt Lauer being fired and my mom called me up. She was so fucking happy. So it was cool. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, those are some stories. And do you guys think that there's something about comedy that lends itself? I mean, you said that it was acting, but... Uh, that you saw in the acting world, not in the comedy world. But uh, do you think there's anything about comedy that lends itself to kind of? I like I want to go back. There oh. are two guys who have done who've like grabbed my balls or stuff like that in the comedy business. Okay. Yeah. They're they're guys who say they're not gay, uh, and they're the same kind of guys where like literally you go see them, you go for a high five, and they just do that. They just, you know, pull their hand out, grab your nuts or whatever, and then they act like it's a joke or something, you know? And it's really weird. So, you like, you, like I didn't even remember it right now because I wasn't even thinking about it. You, like, that one didn't, didn't even fuck with me mentally that much because it just seemed like, uh, you know, I don't even know what the fuck it seemed like, you know? So, there's, sometimes people try to be tricky with it. You know? Exploit and, that gray area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? And then, yeah. But then sometimes, you know, like other ones I've had, it's a real... Uh, it can be a real, um, you know, I mean, the, the level I had was not, you know, the harshest of stuff by any means, you know, but so it's not like I was, you know, physically hurt or anything, you know, uh, boundaries were crossed and, you know, you were touched. So it's, I think legally it's technically assault, but it's, um, it's the mental way that, it, that and psychological way it can fuck with people. So that's, yeah, I mean, you said it basically like the gray area, right? So I feel like, and I'm not saying this in a way to pathologize stand-up comedians or to give them like a get-out-of-jail-free card, but is there something about 
being transgressive and being uncomfortable and making people uncomfortable and calling stuff out? Do you think that that makes it either attracts people like that to stand up or that makes people who go into stand up become more like that? Well, it's, it's interesting. I think part of it is just sort of the physical, practical environment of where you're doing comedy, specifically stand-up. The line of professionalism is so blurred because you're with these people. There's Everybody's drinking most of the time. Like There's alcohol involved. It's at night. It's... Dark. Uh, it's dark, people are uh, saying bad words, people are, you know, it's just like, it doesn't feel like a workplace in the way that a lot of other workplaces feel like workplaces. And I think that um, it just makes it even more, it, it makes it, uh, it makes people able to uh, sort of disavow the idea that the people they're around are their colleagues and that this is more of a social group or this is a potential dating pool or, or what have you. And I think, and especially when you start, because like I'm I'm still, you know, pretty new. I, I am at open mics a lot of times. Nobody's getting paid. It is sort of, it, it's hard to sort of conceptualize that as a workplace where people are coming to do a specific thing. Like when I'm at an open mic, I'm working. I'm working on my jokes. I want to be there to develop material. I don't want to be there to necessarily like try to hook up with somebody or something. And uh, I think that's a big part of it. I think also there's an interesting thing that happens where, like, and I talked about this in the article I wrote about Louis, about how um, you can get away with a lot joking-wise. Like you were saying about like people grabbing your balls, like, oh, it's a joke. Like, even just sort of verbally people will joke about, like, people joked about Louis for years. And for a while, I thought that that joking was about being uncomfortable with relaying this really uncomfortable topic and broaching this uncomfortable topic. But I think a lot of the... Because, you know, when you make a joke about something like that, it's you're trying to ease tension. Like, it's a defense mechanism almost. And what I realized is that the discomfort doesn't necessarily come from talking about that uncomfortable topic. It comes from feeling complicit in a system that allows this to happen. And I think that's why people make jokes about it and everything is because we feel very ambivalent in engaging in this system that allows men in positions of power to exploit their power that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's Thank why I'm, I'm so grateful to that woman that thinks thinks like the oh, that period the, underwear, the period underwear there's lady. someone called thinks who i guess she's a lesbian or maybe i don't know maybe queer who knows but she sexually harasses or harassed hopefully her female employees so i as a woman felt really proud <laughs> that uh she was such a trail well it was breaking the glass <laughs> uh ceiling or floor ground <laughs> whatever it was a similar thing, though, where it was like, oh, no, we're a cool company. Yeah. We're not, we don't have to have HR. We're, like, fun and empowering so I can, like, grab your tits. No, you can't. Right. Like, that's not, it's not cool. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so let's bring up our, uh, sorry, the awkward transition. This, this person coming up to the stage has absolutely nothing to do with thanks. Um, <laughs> but she is a uh, writer. She's an assistant editor for Jacobin. And she writes for places like The Nation, uh, in these times, and is also a member of the DSA, and she's an organizer and a PhD student, and I have to grab something anyway, so take some time to, uh, whatever. Alex Press. Yay! Uh, we're also going to try to get a, f uh, a fifth chair oh, up here, okay. so we'll just keep moving, moving things here. down. No, there's room. There's room. Yeah, there's told. There's. I got you. No, I get it, man. He's ready to run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> man, round of applause for getting five people sitting on this stage. This is a very small stage. I feel like I know you guys so much more intimately now because we're sitting yeah. so close together. But I feel like we're still maintaining proper boundaries. No, we totally are. I feel incredibly comfortable up here. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think we, we do have five mics set up. But yeah. Everyone has a voice here, too. That also makes me feel very comfortable. Yeah. I feel very heard. We're going to do progressive heard. mics where only the women get the mics, and then the men ask 
Yeah, we should. Also, thank you for not threatening me with a stand-up set. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for not threatening me with murder, which if anyone's listened to the podcast episode we did with Alex Press, which was great, uh, it's called Socialist Feminist Alex Press on Sexual Harassment. That's how I introduce myself. Yeah, she does. At party, <laughs> it's a great dating uh, yeah, cue card or whatever. Yeah, it very well. Um, but, yeah, uh, she, you, she did threaten to murder me uh, for <laughs> speaking out against... Uh, well, you'll see. You'll listen to it. It's great. So um, I brought up some like literature because oh, no. <laughs> all of you have either written about or spoken out about sexual harassment. And um, Kath, uh, you were referring to a piece that you wrote, uh, and it was in the Washington Post. I did a stand-up set about Louis C.K.'s offenses. It wasn't enough. Um, Alex, you've written a bunch of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, you at don't the, have to okay. list all of them. Yeah, yeah we'd be here all night. Am I right? <laughs> and um, Judah, you were interviewed for Vice. Um, by Eve Pizer, and you came out with a uh, kind of a zero uh, zero tolerance statement. Yeah, they they were interviewing me about something else, and then they asked me questions about the you know this was before the Louis C.K. story broke, but they were like alluding to that, and I was just you know gave an answer how you should you know I think respond to that stuff, which is. Uh, if anyone in the comedy community has been abused by anyone, I support them 100%. And whoever's doing it, no matter how big or small they are, it's. I hope they uh, do the time for the crime. Yeah, it's fucking bad. It's crimes, whatever you know. You like, I don't know. It seems pretty fucking obvious to me, you yeah. know. But but um, you know the whole thing about you, you know you, you were talking about like you know in the comedy business or I, th I think in any business. You know, once you once capitalism comes into the equation, great segue. Uh -huh. You know, no, but seriously, <laughs> seriously, yeah, seriously, seriously yeah. once capitalism comes in the equation, and you're at a job, something happens on the job. It's different. Something happens. It might almost be easier if sexual assault happened outside of the job, because there, then you don't have these these mental and financial conflicts in your head. You know, but when you when it's on the job, you know that you know the way the the power structure works is, you know, most jobs are. I can't think of any that are democracies. You know, they're, they're dictators. Democracy now. So even if you, if you, <laughs> no, uh, I know. No, but <laughs> even not democracy now. Sorry. No, no, no. no it's funny. Uh, but it, 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 it's no. But um, you know, if if you speak out about anything on a job, no matter what it is, if you say, hey, you know, I think the uh, the air conditioning is a little too cool. You know, uh, the the boss or your supervisor will be like, wow, this guy's a Fucking pain in the ass, this guy. I don't, I don't like this guy. You know. So imagine if you're talking about sexual assault. Most of them aren't going to want to fucking hear it. Yeah. Period. No matter who it is. So, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it's I difficult. Don't you know. I don't even necessarily think that like there's a higher percentage of like comedians who are uh, bad with boundaries and consent and things. I, I think it's more just that like because it's a workplace where people talk about things that in other situations would be inappropriate to talk about, it maybe gets talked about more than it does in other places. I mean, it's certainly not ideal or perfect or even close to that because there are still so many people that abuse their power. But yeah, it's, it's an abuse of power that happens anytime anyone has power, pretty much. Right. It's not related to specifically that creative field or anything like that. And were you going to, Sean, or I was going to uh, ask? Yeah, you? I was going to say... Is this working? I'm the only non-performer on this stage, which is my nightmare scenario. Um, it's a safe I don't space. know how mics work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I it's think that one does sound a little. You want us to hear? Less, Let's switch. Because I used that one yeah. earlier. I think it sounds a little. Hello. Okay. Yeah. You hear me? There you yeah. Go. yeah. That's a okay. little better. Yeah. I was gonna say to your point, uh, Judah, in the piece I wrote today at Jacobin, sexual uh, harassment is everybody's problem. Thank you, Katie. Uh, <laughs> happens to be, it, yes, it's true. A statement from me happens to be her article title. Yeah. <laughs> Just coincidence. Yeah. Um, you know, I, what I wrote about today was, you know, part of why we have these conversations so present right now. You know, it's dominated by people with power or people with status, right? And so even in comedy, because we all have our favorite comics, we all watch things like Louie, you know, that gets some attention, but it probably has nothing to do with the prevalence of this happening in an industry versus not. Sure. And I wrote a lot about, in this article, how often this happens in fast food places and for hotel housekeepers and workers in casinos. And I won't bore people with statistics because I've been drinking and <laughs> I don't have it in front of me, but 
uh, you are not going to read statistics at 9 p.m. You can, um, <laughs> you can ballpark you can. and we'll be fine. Yeah, but I'm... It, a thousand percent. Of. So, one thousand percent of all workers. Um, no, I, I bring it up because the statistics don't matter. Because what what was interesting of, of you know, survey after survey of low-wage workers is that almost as many as who had experienced harassment had either not spoken up and cited fear of retaliation and the need to keep your job and pay your rent for the to be the reason why, you know, you don't speak up about it being too cold. You certainly aren't going to speak up to your boss about your boss uh, squeezing your ass or something at work. Um, and then those who had of fast food workers, I think it was something around one in five said that they were positive that they'd been retaliated against. They'd either had wages stolen, they'd been fired, they'd been given worse assignments. And so I think... It's, it's totally to your point. I mean, on some level, it's a different question how we deal with sexual harassment outside of the workplace, but at least you can just say, go fuck yourself <laughs> and walk away when someone does it. Right, when it's right. your boss, you can't say anything right. quite often. You mean like if you're on a date and someone does something inappropriate, yeah. right. you can leave. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. If a... you're at the show and someone does that, you can just uh, First, tell throw me. a drink. So um, <laughs> There's a book called, this is one of these books that my dad's read that he always tells me to read, but I haven't read it yet, but I know what it's about. Rich it's man, called, poor son. No, this one's called... No, <laughs> rich dad, this, poor son, sorry. This, this one is called... It's a real insult for your dad to tell you to read Rich Man, Poor <laughs> <Right>. Son. <laughs> is uh. It's called Exit Voice Loyalty. Uh, it was written in 1970, and it's all about that. It's like huh. when you're when you're at uh, a work and and something happens that you don't like, no matter what it is. What are your choices? You can exit and leave, uh, or you can voice your opinion. And when you do that, you're jeopardizing your job and your livelihood. You know, so yeah. it's, it's very it's a very difficult you know thing. You know, period. I uh, I remember uh, when we were talking last time. I brought up. I hear this in com like in the comedy circle. Everyone's like, comedy doesn't have an HR department, and which is true. But then when I brought up HR to you, it was really you had a really interesting <laughs> take on <laughs> human resources. Right. Yeah. So well, it's not. I think it's just maybe white collar people have somehow gotten uh, mixed up along th as we've lost unions in those sectors. But HR is not your friend. HR is the boss's friend, mm -hmm. right? HR is there to make sure the company doesn't get sued. And so, yeah, you brought up HR on the show I did with Katie and Gabe. And I was like, oh, well, you should have a, a colleague or a union rep before you talk to HR because then it's on record and the boss will know. And, and I think a lot of people probably... In, in like creative sectors, in white collar workplaces, uh, really do expect HR to be their friend. I've been, I've been interviewing a lot of people who work in the tech sector um, over the past few months, and it's been a similar kind of shock at the idea. And it's crazy, in tech people just talk like they are in HR. They're just <laughs> yeah. like, I'm an ENT. I'm like, what, you're taking like personality tests at work? <laughs> I'm ENT. All right. Anyway. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that HR thing 100%, because Again, it's power structure. You know, that's mm. they're the corporation. They're they're the owners of the company, and they're always in charge. You know, I, I remember when I was on Thirty Rock, after season one, uh, my managers came to me, and they were also part owners of the show. They came to me and said, second season, I was supposed to get, um, uh, I was supposed to be in every episode, and paid for every episode. Uh, and they said, we're not giving you a pay cut, but we're asking you to do not all episodes, to do three episodes less. So it's not a pay cut. And right. I'm like, well, it actually is, because <laughs> right. now there's three episodes I'm not doing and not getting paid for, and that's less money, so that's a pay <laughs> cut. You know, so, um, and then they go to me, well, you know, you don't have to agree to it. You know? Oh, that's so, so nice of them. So that's when I realized, <laughs> I realized, oh, this contract, which was a six-year contract, and this is season two this happened, I'm like, Oh, this this is to protect them. This doesn't protect me, you know. Because if I said no, I want to stick with the contract, then they could have just, you know, written whatever the fuck they wanted. Or, you know, that was you know the implication. So you just, you just go along with it, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I found one of the upsides, and it's hard to say there's upsides of the Weinstein stories or anything. Um, there's this, you know, in, in the Weinstein case, there's actually one woman who had been kind of a, like, low-level, whether intern or entry-level employee of their company, and she had gone to HR. And HR had, you know, kind of explicitly said, you know, this will get back to Harvey, right? And so, it, you know, for someone like me, who is very much like, 
constantly trying to exp- like. Right. I'm the agitator in the room. Um, <laughs> this has corporate. been yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're all corporate up here, actually. Um, uh, you know, it's been a very clarifying moment because a lot of people who generally wouldn't be interested in hearing about like, well, what is HR? What's power? What's you know, what do you mean that they protect them, not me? Okay, well, if they don't protect me, who does? And that's a very great conversation for someone like me who's like, oh, well, your <laughs> colleagues. Okay, let's talk about that. It's like a show-don't-tell moment. Yeah, it's yeah. been... It, the power structures were made incredibly clear. Right. And I think um, the persistence of this conversation, and it's, you know, it's a bizarre... It's like trickle-down feminism that's happening right now. And, <laughs> and that's like red flags go up for right. someone... For, I think, all of us uh, who are like, I don't know if... Pantsuit Nation... If we're not pantsuit nation, I yeah, I don't know if they really actually care about whether a farm worker is being yeah, sexually. But uh, you know, and actually to that point, there was a really interesting moment that happened about a month ago, where uh, tens of thousands of farm workers, uh, who were organized within one kind of community coalition, um, had put out a statement that for some reason Time published, which is you know speaks to the broad moment in space that. Uh, working class people and working class women have in this moment. Um, but they published a statement of solidarity with the actresses in Hollywood. And they said, <laughs> and, right, it's, it's ridiculous. Because your, your instant thought is like, wait a minute, but shouldn't the actresses of right. Hollywood be publishing right. statements? <laughs> but I mean, not to be the Marxist in the room, but you know, working class people will always be ahead of the curve right. on this. And so they'll, yeah, they'll, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wow, I actually yeah. got applause for this. Where do you think you Usually, are? You're at the Brooklyn Commons. Yeah, the yeah the Marxist in the room. I know. <laughs> the only one. You're like, as the one person who's read the Communist Manifesto, Google it. It's this guy, Marx. He's a big beard. Big old guy. Yeah. Uh, Sugar daddy named Engels. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so it speaks to the fact that this affects women at all levels. And, and there is space right now where these communications are happening, right? If you can have tens of thousands of women as an organization make this statement, you better believe that on some level there's a lot more conversation happening privately. And it's, it's what's complicated about this moment, right? Because my kind of like snarky line is that we don't have a feminist movement. We did, it was incorporated into a lot of nonprofits and everything else was kind of uh, left to the wayside. And so a lot of, you know, the energy from this moment we're having right now is, uh, it's a lot of spinning of the wheels for I think a lot of people who are just fed up and outraged and reading all this stuff and say, how can I help? What can I do? I, you know, fuck this, fuck these men. Uh, and they don't know what organizations to put it in. And you know, the the good thing is that the conversations are happening, but there's no public spaces where it's really there's a movement going on. Well, here People right now, here, yeah. we're working on it. Yeah, we're right? working on it. We're Baby all steps. working on it. But it, speaking to that, um, you on uh, during the interview, and you've written about this too with the HERE here Unite Here workers, the hotel and yes. restaurant workers. Um, you talk about how they have panic buttons, right? So, like, a, a large percentage of people who work as... Um, anybody... So, anybody who works alone with a guest yeah. in their room. So, like, housekeepers, Housekeep- casino yeah. workers. Have a high yeah. rate of people, like, opening the door naked. And... Yeah. And and so, you talk about how they... And everything else. And everything else, yeah. yeah from there to eternity. And you talk about how they've installed these panic buttons and that... You, someone you spoke to said that he thinks it was the Me Too movement which pushed like Chicago to pay for these things. Yeah. So, so, so it, like, so there seems to be there's we we have to acknowledge the difference between being a like a high 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 paid actress in Hollywood and being a um, housekeeper in a hotel, right? But also, this is there are potential there is potential for collaborating and solidarity that yeah. I think is surprising and great but yeah and I think something you know it's very easy to be snarky about yeah. all the attention right. being paid to uh, whatever actress or Rose McGowan or Lou yeah. Thurman or whatever right yeah. right oh of course because everyone listens to everything they say anyway right. who cares because that's not my life but you know the reality is that what we want is for everyone right. every woman to be listened to in that way and so this is a space for people like us to organize events like this into, and organizations like Unite Here and their coalition partners in Chicago who represent low-paid workers to actually make use of this space and this conversation and say, you know what, direct it to us because we experienced this too. And it's been really you know, somewhat interesting to see that that is happening more and more. Even you know, the, uh, by no means the, the vanguard uh, time, I think, said 
the you know the women who spoke up is their right. person of the year, which you know whatever, uh, cool. But but the article itself actually had interviews with a number of low-paid workers, including house workers, including two workers who couldn't name, be named for fear of retaliation. And you know it's it's just a it's a bit of a symbol to say okay this is where we're at. So these this change of understanding of who is affected by this and who we care about, something is happening here. And I think that's a really, um, it's an encouraging moment, certainly for people like me who are like writing toward 20,000 things to try to do that. Um, but just to flesh out really quickly to the Unite Here campaign you were mentioning, I think is a really important example of like this not being doom and gloom, a success actually happening. And to make a long story and a long campaign short, all these hotel workers, half of them were experiencing sexual assault on the job. And when the union that represented them found out through a survey about that, they mobilized to get the city council to require that hotel, lo the hotel lobby pay for panic buttons, which are, you know, they, they sound awful because they really are. It's a, if, you're, if assault is happening, you can instantly get security from the hotel to come help you out. And this was something that passed at the citywide level. There was no resistance from the hotel lobby, even though it's going to cost them a few million dollars. And the head of the Federation of Labor in Chicago, this guy Jorge Ramirez, said that he thought you know, a huge part of the lack of resistance was the fact that these stories were so many of them, the high-profile stories, are happening in hotel rooms. And so the hotel lobby was like, well, this would not be a good look. We can't, <laughs> we can't say that assault doesn't happen yeah. in hotel rooms. Uh, Double tree. Yeah, <laughs> and so, you know, and there were other campaigns in other cities where the hotel lobby actually did defeat this bill that happened in Long Beach um, last year. But in Chicago... Pre Me Too. Yeah, it was before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashtag Me Too. And right. so in this case, it, that didn't happen at all. So. That's interesting. They should try again. Seriously. Because, yeah. I mean, that's that's a good example of how things that we consider... I mean, like you were saying, it's easy to be snarky about that and dismiss it and be like, oh, f sorry, like, excuse me if I don't cry, which is stupid because we don't want to have a race to the bottom where we, like, dismiss people who have a lot of money who are sexually harassed, right? The point is we want to, like, be fighting for everyone. Um, but that's a great example of how we can kind of hitch movements that include more people uh, to the progress of... of people who are, you know, higher, more high profile. More people getting panic buttons. <laughs> yeah, panic either buttons literally fall. or figuratively, yeah. <laughs> Comedians yeah. getting panic yeah. buttons. Well, it's, it's interesting, <laughs> like, uh, to go back to what Judas said at the beginning about his mom, like, that I think when oh, this snap. all started, there's so much emotional fatigue around this because it's particularly for women, anybody, particularly for anybody who has experienced harassment or, or sexual abuse or anything like that, of like, it, it, seems so, it seems so futile for so long that everybody, we've been saying this forever, that this has been happening forever, and it just feels like, why are we talking about this? It's so disturbing and hard to talk about. It's re-traumatizing for a lot of people, but it's been so encouraging in the last like month or two. It really seems like there has been some kind of change. I mean, it, it might be small, and it might be something we need to really, really work to capitalize on, but it does seem like something different is happening right now. And it's as exhausting as all of this endless news is of all of these people being outed, it at least feels like it's sticking now. So that's very nice. What do you guys think is the cause of this shift? Like, why now? Well, you know, I think, I don't know all the answers to that, but I, you know, I think there's a, you know, I think since Occupy Wall Street, there's been a real, it's kind of like another civil rights movement going on. You get Occupy, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, the Me Too, you know, I, th I think they're all related. They're all, they're all little parts, I think, of dismantling white male supremacy. They're all, they're all related on, on some level, you know, in corporate supremacy. You know, I think it's all somewhat parts of a puzzle, I think. Yeah, I think as, as um, we feel things getting worse and worse at the top and that as, you know, things become increasingly unequal in all of these ways, we're maybe finding more productive ways to channel that rage and that rage is becoming sharper and more... Uh, we're, we're more able to sort of identify these issues in a constructive way that don't, like, I think people, there are still a lot of people who act like 
politics, politics in the sense of uh, power relations, are sort of theoretical or are a game or something like that. And I think as things get worse, more and more people are realizing that it's not a game, yeah. I think, is a part I of it. I think there's also technology, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, with uh, black people being shot by cops. And it uh, captured on... You, you know, I mean, that's been going on... Right. Yeah. Forever, as I long mean, as there've been you, cops, you know, I mean, that's and why guns. cops yeah. were started. That's I, I, yeah, they were invented to do you, that. You, you know, so it, it's like, uh, <laughs> and now, you know, because of cell phones, people actually see yeah. it, and it's amazing how many people still don't think it's a problem, even yeah. though they're seeing it. You know, so and then so there's that, and I think Trump being in office is, is a big part of uh, the Me Too movement. Also, it's like, I was gonna you know, say. As much as I agree about there being a trajectory that goes from Occupy Wall Street to Black Lives Matter to this movement, I know because it's the same people who are organizing the, the events. So they're very Yeah, much George Soros. Yep. Yeah, it's exactly. All, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who's way to the right of everyone and in this you, room? How but. much did he give you to say that? He I was going to say, this is really awkward. I thought we said we wouldn't name yeah, names. Yeah, exactly. This is my, this is my employer. There's something called trust. Um, yeah. yeah. So thank you, Kath. But I think, so the, the Trump thing. Whoa. God damn it. George Soros Trump, did Trump that. Trump makes yeah. me so yeah. mad. Um, so, you know, on some level, there was this mobilization of liberal feminists, right, with the with the Hillary Clinton campaign, which we will not discuss at this Oh, summit. we may, but no. I didn't even plan Katie, it. Katie, no, no, I didn't even plan it, but okay, keep going. Uh, Katie, no, it's just an intro to a comment. Um, okay. But there was, and then there was a loss, right? So there are these mobilized women, women with a lot of status, a lot of economic power, who see a guy who is, by all measures, except his own, uh, is a Love serial women. sexual right. predator, and there's a bunch of women outraged, right? And these are women that lead organizations and have clout. And I invite think, Bill Clinton to headline events. And, uh -huh. Yeah, these <laughs> are Emily's women list. and Bill Clinton who just are fed up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you are a performer, Alex. Yeah. And so I think a lot of that, especially it being kind of trickled down, is we see these women who maybe uh, are not necessarily all of our allies in all times, but they do want to do something. And so we. You know, unfortunately, we haven't seen this affect Trump. We haven't seen this affect certain sectors of the economy that uh, seem to be immune to social pressure, finance, real estate, yeah. you know, which, I mean, if we talk about prevalence of sexism, or se you'd have to guess that Wall Street is the worst, but they haven't had these high-profile resignations. But you do see this kind of pressure being directed and channeled from the Women's March on down into the Me Too movement. Um, and, you know, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, I thought it was a direct reaction to Trump being elected and then seeing um, my, you know, family and people, all people I know going to the Women's March and having that energy there, coalescing. And like you brought up that sort of feminism doesn't have a lot of outlets. And so this becomes one of those touchstones. And then also uh, even seeing like not seeing but knowing about women's groups on Facebook like uh, and and then the prevalence of uh, women in journalism and in the media—that this would be the moment where Me Too would would catch fire because there's that. Like uh, I would bring up the list of journalists, the, the yeah, Google yeah. Doc of uh, creepy journalist dudes, like something like that that existed under the surface that's now right. coming up. It's funny. Okay, I wasn't gonna when I asked that question. It wasn't a leading question. But then when you were talking, I was like, "Are you are you crediting Bernie with this?" I'm just. I wasn't <laughs> thinking of that. But you were like, people are getting like more fed up and angry, and they're realizing that they can talk about stuff. But I do wonder like how much of this. Just bear with me. Are you I saying did not that, plan that? Are you saying that Bernie's finger wagging I triggered? Think that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. His misogyny triggered the yeah. outpouring. Exactly. You're like they're not responding to Trump. They're responding to. Bernie Sanders and his abusive <laughs> finger. Um, but I wonder, like, how much of this, this does sound weird, maybe, but, like, the Me Too movement, how in incompatible was that with Hillary Clinton, right? Because a lot of the feminists who are, who are you know, using the Me Too hashtag are, are, are women who supported Hillary Clinton. And it was this elephant in the room, or donkey in the room, I guess, uh, that, you know, we know that Bill Clinton had an inappropriate relationship with Monica Lewinsky, which is not, I mean, there's a spectrum as much as we don't like to think of that, rape is rape or assault is assault, but there is a spectrum. And so uh, that was a, there were uneven power dynamics because she was an intern and he's the, literally the most powerful man in the world. 
Um, but I wonder how much of that, and then of course there's the Juanita Broderick stuff, and it's, it's now that, now that Clinton, Hillary Clinton is no longer running, that people have come out and said that, you know, Bill Clinton should have resigned because of Monica Lewinsky, and even one or two people are actually acknowledging that, you know, they believe Juanita Broderick. So I, I do kind of wonder how much that was um, hamstrung by Hillary Clinton being, running for office and being the nominee. And I'm not being like, so you're going to remix do. this to say I'm blaming Maybe you turned it off. Oh, maybe the Clintons. After, kill, after killing Vince Foster. <laughs> just kidding. And by the way, I don't blame Hillary for, rep, for defending a rapist. That's what you do at... That's just gonna sound so classist. <laughs> That's what you do at legal aid, but I mean, you defend anyone at legal aid, and we believe on that on the left. My point is that I, I am not a Hillary hater. Well, um, there was the really interesting, not to feed this. Uh, you know you want to. Don't Bernie shame me. But <laughs> there was a really interesting. So I don't know if you read the New York Times ran a follow up yesterday or the day before about Weinstein and the yeah. complicity, the number. It was like. Hundreds of people knew about this. Hundreds of people kept putting young women in danger, whatever, including including Hillary Clinton. And there was a really weird, like, uh, you know, gossip kind of beef brewing because it said in that article, like, Lena Dunham claims that she told Hillary Clinton Weinstein's a rapist, or she told his like, you know, comms director, uh, or she yeah her, her comms director her she told yeah. Clinton's comms yes, director Lena yeah. Dunham. Palmieri, yeah. Jen Palmieri. Yeah, and and Clinton kept holding big fundraisers with Harvey Weinstein. So uh, take that as you will. I don't want to feed your. I don't. Th I think <laughs> these women, you know, that are like the lib feminists that right. love Hillary and now are also outraged about sexism in the workplace. I think that maybe the most charitable reading is they're they are mobilized. They always will be around certain issues, and Clinton was their issue, and. They lost in a really brutal way and in a horrifying way for all of us, right? right? Yeah. Um, because Trump is genuinely terrible. Um, and an over-misogynist. Yeah, and so there was, yeah. you know, it's to their credit that they didn't give up on politics after that loss, that they, that a lot of this has been the same people. That is my very charitable yeah, uh, <laughs> And it doesn't mean that, like, I'm not suggesting, yeah. like, let's not work with these people because they didn't support Bernie. I, I talked myself out of that. Just kidding. No, I don't think that. I do not think that. I do not think that. No, alliances, we have to make alliances. If we're comfortable in our coalitions, they're not big enough, as Martin Luther King said. Um, speaking of, well, let's not, personal is political, that's awkward, too. He had a lot of affairs. But that's not, oh. uh, that, they were consensual, but anyway. I feel like the it's not, I, I don't think those people see this as hypocritical or incompatible because, I, and I think the reason that like uh, these super, super uber privileged women are able to talk about this in sort of a similar way to the way that um, hotel workers and farm workers are able to talk about this is the fact that this ha this is easy to frame as an individual issue, yeah. an issue that affects individuals as opposed to uh, a systemic uh, structural power issue. Obviously, it is a systemic structural power issue, and I think people are sort of awakening to that. But I think that it's not... Um, I, I think that people who don't necessarily see politics that way or who are not super invested in looking at institutional problems can still get on board with the Me Too thing, and that, I think, has helped... I think it's been educational for a lot of people. Um, so I, I don't necessarily see those as incompatible to those individuals. Yeah, I mean, not to sound super corny, but I do think it's kind of like a teachable moment, right? Where mm -hmm. we get people interested because of the individual arc and the personal story, because lots of, for lots of people, that's what, they, that's what moves them, is how much they identify with someone's personal journey, right. how much that resonates with them. Um, but I think from there, we can make bigger connections, because once you identify with Uma Thurman or whoever, uh, it's, it's not that much of a stretch to get that hotel workers um, or uh, farm workers also are being exploited. And uh, you, Alex, had a great quote um, from our interview. You said that the response to, what is the response to individual yeah, you text uh, me oppression <laughs> is always collective action? Yes. Which yeah. I, I do think that this is like, what's so great Can about- Can you say that quote again? The answer to individual oppression is always collective action. Which is like, what's so great about this moment is that people really do respond to individual arcs and narratives, but I think like the 
you know, the takeaway that we need to communicate to people is that you have to mobilize and you join a union and you point out that something really cool about this issue, unfortunately, is that you can really use sexual harassment as a tool to organize because you point out that for lots of people, one of the biggest complaints they have about uh, their jobs is that they are sexually harassed. And so sometimes people on the left say, oh, let's not, let's not talk about sexual harassment. Like, we don't want to be divided. Let's focus on class stuff. Um, and your point is that that's actually an extremely good way to get people to join unions in the labor movement. And I think it's important to say it's not just unions. Like, yeah. most of us in this room might be political, but then at work, maybe our colleagues aren't so much, and we feel really awkward bringing up conversations. But the prevalence of this issue, and certainly its, its pervasiveness in the media right now, provides a really easy opening for not just a union campaign, but literally just talking to your colleagues at lunch and being right. like, hey, what do you think about this? You know, your story about your mom. I mean, I've had the same thing with my family and with my friends who aren't political, where they're like, oh, you know what? I actually do want to ask my colleagues what we should, you know, the boss that's creepy, maybe we should have all of us just send a collective email. Right. You know, it's not a union campaign. It's sure, just a, right. hey, this yeah. isn't acceptable and we're standing with each other. And I think that is usually the hardest step is the first one. Right. And the rest kind of builds from there because you see how effective it is to work with, whether it's your colleagues or it's your friends in, you know, whatever community that you're experiencing this stuff in, the hardest step is just talking about it privately. And and I think we're seeing a lot of people actually taking that first step. So it's encouraging. Power in numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Everyone stay, stick around. We're going to do karaoke after this. And No, really, I'm not joking. Really, we do karaoke. It's a thing. Wow. We're the only, yeah, we're the, I know you wow. know. We're the only uh, left t live talk show that dares to combine our, our show with karaoke. No one else touches that with a six-foot pole. But uh, thank you so much, Kath Barbadaro. Gabe Pacheco, as, as always. Alex Press. Judah Friedlander. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for coming out. Thanks so much for listening to the Katie Helper Show. Don't forget to join our Patreon so you can hear stand-up from Kath Barbadaro and some riffing from me and Gabe. And to do that, go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. we got some more bonus coming down the pike. we got an interview with Matt Brunig, interview with Jim Zogby, Nomiki Konst. You can hear the Katie Helper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI. That's WBAI.org, 99.5 FM. You can also find us on SoundCloud and on iTunes where you can rate and review us. Please like our Facebook page. It's just the Katie Halper Show on Facebook. Also, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Katie Halps, just letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. And Gabe Pacheco's handle is just Gabe underscore Pacheco. And use the hashtag Katie Halps Show. That's hashtag K-T-H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W. The Katie Halper Show is produced by Florence Burrow Adams with help from Joshua Bregman. Our theme song is by The Ballet. We'll see you 